0: Heavenly Father, how marvelous is your love. Lord, today we pray that your spirit would speak to us. Lord, I'm praying a special prayer today that hearts would be softened. Those who are watching this now and those who will watch it afterward, Lord, remove every unclean spirit that would seek to disrupt or alter this message from my mouth to the ears and hearts of the receivers. Speak, Lord, as our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak to you today about the subject I've entitled Beast Juice the dangers of flying while drunk. We're going to begin with Proverbs 15, verse 9. And I have to say this. I'm so excited that God has given us his word because it is his word that keeps us in times of uncertainty. It is his word that keeps us in times of darkness. His word truly is a lamp. To our feet, and I hope that you will see that demonstrated today. I praise God for the word of God. I want you to notice with me, Proverbs 15, verse 9: the Bible says, The way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord, but he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. Proverbs 15:26 puts it this way, the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. I want to take you through a very quick list of abominations according to the word of God. You will see here that eating certain foods, Leviticus chapter 11 is considered an abomination. Certain sexual practices and habits are abominations. Child sacrifice is an abomination. Bestiality is an abomination. Paganism is an abomination. The worshiping of other gods, Deuteronomy seventeen four, this is described as an abomination unto God. Sorcery, which would include the New Age, this is an abomination unto God. Cross dressing, Deuteronomy twenty two verse five is an abomination unto God. Prostitution, Deuteronomy 23, verse 18, is an abomination unto God. Murder, pride, and evil doing all these, according to the book of Proverbs 16, are abominations unto the Lord. And so we can see that the Lord hates abominations. The Bible says that these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And in fact, Proverbs 14, verse 1, the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. So the Bible even tells us that atheism, the total denial of God is an abomination unto God. God hates abominations. Yes, yes, he he loves the world. But he hates abominations. Revelation chapter 17, the Bible speaks of this power called Babylon. Let me read for you from Revelation 17, verse 1. The Bible says, And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters." with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. I want you to notice something here, that the inhabitants of the earth, that is the whole world, has been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. The Bible goes on to say in verse 4, And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And notice verse five. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Now, I want you to pause for a second and I want you to think carefully with me. Revelation chapter 17 describes this woman as being the mother of all abominations of the earth. So that list that we just brought up, right, remember? uh, Eating certain foods and, uh, uh, and prostitution and everything that we just saw. The Bible says that This woman, whoever she is, is the mother of the abominations of the earth. She has a golden cup in her hand full of these abominations. Revelation 13 verse 1 describes this same woman, but in a different term. Revelation 13 verse 1, I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. So this symbolic woman of Revelation chapter 17 is the same as the beast of Revelation 13.1, and this symbolic woman has a cup in her hand, which is described as being the wine of Babylon. What I will henceforth call beast juice, aka beast aid, aka wrath water. Let me say it again beast juice, beast aid, or wrath water, the wine of Babylon. The Bible tells us that she is the mother of all abominations. She is the mother. Notice what Revelation 18 says. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Notice this. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. So the Bible is telling us here that this woman, a.k.a. this beast, is the manufacturer of the wine that causes the whole world to be drunk. So if I were to ask you, who manufactures beast aid? or beast juice, or wrath water, because this wine is the wine of the wrath of Babylon. If I were to ask you who is the manufacturer, who would you answer? I just want to make sure that you're following me. Who would you answer is the manufacturer, or the winery, if you will, of this wine? If you said the woman of Revelation 17, or the beast You are correct. We're going to keep moving. Because the question becomes, all the abominations of the earth? Well, weren't there abominations in existence before the rise of this system that we understand as Seventh-day Adventists, we understand this to be the papal system? So let's go back to the book of Acts and I want you to notice something here in the book of Acts chapter 17 verse 16 the Bible says now while Paul waited for them at Athens his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry which we know is an abomination unto God and it goes on to say uh, they took him and brought him unto Areopagus saying may we know what this new doctrine whereof you speak is for thou bringest certain strange things to our ears, we would know therefore what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious, for I pass by and behold your devotions. I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom you therefore ignorantly worship him, Him declare I to you. So again, Paul is talking about their ignorance and worshiping superstitions and unknown gods. And then he goes on to say, God has made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and has made of one blood, of all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitations, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we also are of his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art or men's devices. Now notice this next verse. And the times of ignorance God winked, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, wherefore he has given assurance unto all men in that he has raised him from the dead. So I want you to notice what's going on here. Paul is speaking to people who know no better, and they're worshiping false gods, and Paul says to them, listen, basically, these abominations, God is winking at. But now, since the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, Now he commands men everywhere to repent. It's almost as if through the death, burial and resurrection of Christ, the earth got a reset. Like God was saying, "Okay, look, I'm going to wink at all the abominations done in the past. But now the gospel has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And now my church is to go forward with the gospel message. And now if you reject this message, I'm not winking anymore. Are you with me so far? So check this out. Luke 22. This is the gospel that Jesus gave, right? At the Last Supper, it says, likewise, also the cup. So Jesus at the Last Supper has a cup. And in that cup, he says, this is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. In other words... In that cup was the New Testament or the gospel, the gospel of the sacrifice of Christ. Jesus gives this cup to his disciples and tells them to drink. Now, in the gospel commission, follow carefully, Mark 16, 15, he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We might say, go ye into all the world and take the cup that I gave you, the symbolic cup of the gospel, and I want you to take that cup with my blood into the whole world. The blood being symbolized by pure grape juice, pure wine if you're with me so far just give me an amen pastor we're with you we're following God Jesus gives his church a cup which has the wine in it symbolic of his blood which is symbolic of the New Testament gospel take this cup into the whole world well something happens Something happens. By the way, John three seventeen. the Bible tells us clearly, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So the Bible is telling us here that now the condemnation is this, when the light of the gospel goes into the world and men reject it, then they are held accountable. This burden lay on the church of God. They were supposed to take the gospel into the world. But prophetically speaking, we know something happens. Paul himself writes, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this. That after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves men shall arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. We know that this is the beginning of that woman of Revelation chapter 17. This is where that seed begins to flourish. That unrighteous element coming into the church. And beginning to offer a different cup. This new system rises amongst the people of God. And begins to offer a counterfeit cup. Or a counterfeit wine. That is designed to ultimately get the whole world drunk. Now. We're going to talk about wine a little bit. We're going to talk about 538 wine or 538 beast juice. So a wine vintage is the year in which the grapes were harvested to produce that wine. So we're going to talk about 538 wine. Just give me a, a thumbs up if you know and understand what 538 wine represents. What 538 beast juice represents. We're talking about Bible prophecy. We're talking about that 1260 years. This is what we're calling that 538 wine. And the Bible tells us that there are two reasons why we should not drink wine. So the first is this Proverbs 31 verse five, do not drink wine. The Bible says in verse four, lest when you drink, you forget the law. Number one, and pervert the, uh, the judgment of any of the afflicted. So drinking wine, listen carefully, drinking fermented wine leads to, according to the Bible, forgetting the law and perverting the judgment of the afflicted. That's one. According to Proverbs 20 verse 1, the Bible also says, Wine is a marker and strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. So let's translate that. What the Bible is actually saying is wine causes rage or causes wrath. Wine causes wrath. So the two reasons that we're not to drink wine is number one, it leads to forgetting the law and perverting judgment of the afflicted, the oppressed. And number two, it causes or produces wrath. Hmm. Do we find this result in 538 wine? I'm just going to wait for your response. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. When we look at Daniel 725, which speaks about this 538 wine, the Bible says, speaking of this same system, which here in Daniel 725 is described as a little horn. So little horn, horn juice, you want to call it the beast of Revelation 13, the woman of Revelation 17, all the same thing. Notice what Daniel 7.25 says about it. He shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out or persecute the saints of the Most High. Let me ask you, persecution, is that wrath? Did this system exercise wrath towards those that disagreed with her philosophy? Yes or no? All right. Very good. I believe you are following along and you're following along just fine. So not only did this system exercise wrath against the people of God, wrath against those who did not agree with her. The Bible says that it would think to change times and laws. Now, we just remembered that in Proverbs, the Bible says if you drink, it will lead you to forget the law, to disregard the law. And we find this happening in that 538 juice, that wrath water, that beast aid. This is what's going on in 538. Persecution, hatred for those who do not agree with her principles of so-called righteousness. And in this system, we have this whole cup full of abominations. Man as God, the worship of the mother of God, the worship of idols. All of these things are what's in the cup, false teachings. She is the producer of this wine. She is the manufacturer of this wine. Now, not only are the people in the church drinking this wine, but this wine, see, here's what we think. We think that this wine only affects those who drink it and believe these truths. No, 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 no. This wine affects the whole world, and we're going to see that in a moment. Because in the 7th century, the Bible describes another prophetic power coming upon the scene. In Revelation chapter 9, the Bible says... And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power as scorpions of the earth have power. Now, I do not have time to go into the detailed explanation of this. But I'm simply going to say this hoping that you understand that as a church, we unanimously believe that this fifth trumpet symbolizes the rise of the religion of Islam. The rise of the religion of Islam. You got to understand something very important here. This is tying in exactly with what I'm saying here because I want you to understand why was this new religion of Islam formed? what is it was in muhammad's mind that led him to think that the bible was not the true religion that christianity was not the full truth what do you think may i suggest to you that the wine of babylon had an effect and is directly linked to the rise of islam remember what he said the worship of other gods is what to God? It's an abomination. Please follow this carefully. Notice what the book, what Catholics should know about Islam says regarding Muhammad's view of Christianity. It says according to Muhammad, what Muhammad thought was this. Listen, Christians on the other hand are described as having exaggerated their religion by making Jesus and his mother into God's while at the same time casting off dietary restrictions and other divine commands. I need you to get this. Muhammad looked at Christianity, looked at what what they were doing, a misrepresentation of God, by the way, so Muhammad sips this wine and goes, yeah, no. What does this wine lead him to do? It leads him to declare Christianity an incomplete religion at best and that Islam is the true religion. Notice this, quote, the false doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church drove Muhammad away from Christianity. It is well known by anyone who has read the Bible that praying to Mary... Adoration of Mary, the assumption of Mary into heaven, the perpetual virginity of Mary are not found in the Bible. Perhaps calling Mary mother of God was the single most repulsive and confusing thing Muhammad saw in what he thought was true Christianity. Muhammad evidently thought that the Trinity consisted of the Father, the Son, and Mary, according to the Quran 5.116, represents Christians as worshipping Mary as the third member of the Trinity. When in fact, the only ones worshipping Mary, based upon the record of history, were the pagan Arabs who worshipped her idol in the Kabbalah. But the confusion started with the Roman Catholic Church, who although they didn't worship Mary at that time, they do today, they went around calling her Mother of God. The passage of the Quran, which suggests that the Trinity consists of Father, Son, and the Virgin Mary, is doubtless a criticism of some nominally Christian Arabs who held this view. Let me keep reading. Reverend W. St. Clair Tisdall, in his book, The Original Source of the Quran, says under Muhammad's misconception of the doctrine of the Trinity, he says, "...Muhammad heard certain Christians make that there are three gods, that is to say, God the Father, Mary, and Jesus." It is perfectly plain from these verses that Muhammad really did believe that Christian doctrine inculcated belief in three separate divine persons, Jesus and Mary, being two of them. But our third quotation implies that Muhammad probably, from what he had seen of Christian worship, thought that the order was Jesus, Mary, God, or Mary, Jesus, God. No reasonable man will wonder at the indignation with which Muhammad, in God's name, abjures such blasphemy. We must all feel regret that the idolatrous worship offered to Mary led Muhammad to believe that the people who called her Queen of Heaven and Mother of God really attributed to her divine attributes. Are you catching this here? When we talk about the rise of Islam and we talk about the religion of Islam, we need to understand that part of the reason for that rise is the wine of Babylon. And that wine Produced wrath. Did you catch what I just said? That wine produced wrath. Wrath against the Bible. Wrath against this picture of who God was. Edward Gibbons, in his book, The History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, says, The Christians of the 7th century had insensibly relapsed into a semblance of paganism. Their public and private vows were addressed to the relics and images that disgraced the temples of the East. The throne of the Almighty was darkened by the clouds of martyrs and saints and angels. The objects of popular veneration and the Coloridian heretics who flourished in the fruitful soil of Arabia, invested the Virgin Mary with the name and honors of a goddess. Are you catching the picture here? This wine of Babylon produced wrath in people who rejected that teaching altogether, who rejected what they were proposing altogether. It still produced wrath. All right. That's 538 juice. But you see, the longer the wine sat, the the stronger it got. In 1793, I want to talk about the 1793 juice. Because in the book of Revelation, chapter 11, verse 3, the Bible describes another event happening at the end of the 1260 years, and the Bible says in verse 3, I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Now, we understand that uh, as Seventh-day Adventists that this represents the French Revolution. Let me ask you a question. Is the French Revolution a result of the wine of Babylon? Yes or no? Thumbs up in the chat box if you understand what I'm saying and if the answer is yes. The atheism of the French Revolution, was it a result of the wine of of Babylon that they had been drinking since 538. Are you catching the idea here? When the Bible says that mystery Babylon is the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth, we have to understand this, guys. All the turmoil and chaos and religious wars and and all the stuff we see going on today, the producer of of the wine, of that wrath. Let me ask you, are the nations angry? Is there wrath in our nation today? Can you look at different movements and say, man, there's angry people in that movement today. Can you see wrath around you? Well, the Bible tells us that the mother of that wrath, the mother of that wine that produces that wrath, is Mystery Babylon. Now, if you want to stop people from drinking, one of the best things you can do, and perhaps the most effective thing you can do, is you can go after the winery that's producing it. I hope you catch that. You can tell people about the winery that is producing it so that they understand, that's why I'm mad. That's why I'm angry. Now, you might be thinking, okay, Pastor, but can the, you know, is this system really to blame? Well, let's see what the spirit of prophecy says. The great sin charged against Babylon is that she made All nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. This cup represents false doctrines that she has accepted as the result of her friendship with the world. In turn, she exerts a corrupting influence upon the world. Not upon the church, guys. Upon the world by teaching doctrines opposed to the plain statements of the Bible. Were it not that the world is intoxicated with the wine of Babylon, multitudes would be convicted and converted by the plain truths of the word of God. But religious faith appears so confused and discorded that people know not what to believe. And then this sentence, The sin of the world's impenitence lies at the door of the communists. I'm sorry, of the atheist. oh uh, man, I think I need glasses. Oh, oh, of the. Y'all need to see this, guys. The world's impenitence, the world's hard heartedness, the world's callousness, the world's anger, the world's wrath all of it can be traced back to the door of the church. Isn't penitence a bad thing? Yes. Are abominations bad things? Yes. I'm not challenging that, guys. I just need you to understand what I am trying to say to you, which is the root of it. The root of it. You can cut the branch off the tree if the root is the problem. The the axe must be laid to the root, not the branches. What are we doing getting mad at the branches? Oh, look at this. God has given us a message that allows us to focus on the root. But so many of us just want to look at the branches and ignore the root. Why? That's what I'm trying to understand. Why? Why? Why are we trying to protect the root? Okay, so, so, now we see all of this really points back to, listen carefully, the wine of Babylon, beast juice. The world is drunk on beast juice. Atheists are drunk on beast juice. Those who are agnostic, those who are other religions have seen Christianity and said no because according to God, the true gospel will convert. But what ends up happening is a counterfeit gospel is going into the world, and as a result, the world is like, oh, yeah, we drank that, and we are angry at this gospel. This, We are angry at this God. We are angry at this Bible. It is all a result of the wine of Babylon, guys. So what does God do? How does God plan to counter this wine? Well, in 1844, he raised up a movement. Somebody say Amen somebody say praise God in 1844 he raised up a movement with a very special message and that message is found in Revelation 14, 6. I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven. An angel represents a messenger and this angel is symbolic of a people who are supposed to be flying symbolically in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. To every nation, kindred, tongue, and people saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven the earth the sea and the fountains of waters it is a call to the true gospel to the true cup that Jesus gave his disciples not the counterfeit cup and it goes on to say in revelation fourteen eight. there followed another angel saying Babylon is fallen that great city because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication this people are supposed to understand that the issues that the nations are facing, the issues that are causing chaos in our world, all go back to Babylon, this mystery woman. Come on, church. Come on, my people. God raises up a movement to say, hey guys, listen, We know what you've been seeing as Christianity. We can look around and we can identify, we can relate with you world as to why you are so angry with Christianity. We're trying to show you that's not real Christianity. Listen, listen, listen. No, God doesn't burn the wicked forever. And no, the dead, when they die, they don't go straight to heaven or straight to hell. And no, God is not a vindictive and unjust God. And no, this is not the character of God, listen. We know what you've heard, but we're here to demonstrate to you that that's not what it is. And at the same time, God calls us to speak to our brothers and sisters who are in Babylon to say, listen, you've been drinking something and we know you think it tastes good, but I'm telling you, it's alcoholic. It's causing you to be drunk. I don't say this to be mean to you, but listen, just give me your ear for a moment. The same word that you and I are reading, what you think it says, it's not what it says. When you're drunk, it's hard to understand. Our mission is not to condemn the people in Babylon, nor to condemn the people in the world. It is to show the people in the world, hey, we get why you're wrathful because it's not the true wine you're drinking. And to say to those in Babylon, hey, we understand your frustration with what you see in the world, but you got to understand what the root of it is. Isaiah forty thirty one. they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God is calling a people who will wait upon him. He's going to give them eagles wings so that they can fly in the midst of heaven symbolically to take this gospel into the whole world. So therefore, Paul writes, you brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. In other words, Paul is saying, don't drink beast aid. Don't drink beast juice. Make sure you are not partaking of the wine of Babylon. Make sure that you are not becoming a wrathful person. Angry at the very ones that you should be ministering to. Make sure that you stay sober. Yeah, beloved, God is calling for an intervention right now because there are drunk Adventists who are partaking of the wine. And you will see in a moment, I haven't even started yet. Please don't be fearful. Listen, check this out. Verse 6, therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep in the night... And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober. Put on the breastplate of faith and love, the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed to us wrath. Don't be wrathful like the mothers. God's not angry at you. And don't exercise anger at others, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this, guys. The reason we can be sober, the reason we're not in darkness like Others, the world and Babylon is because God has given us a more sure word of prophecy where until you do well that you take heed as until as a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arises in your heart. God has given his church the gift of prophecy which is able to expose the wine of Babylon. That's why the Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, 17 that the dragon was wroth, wrathful. The dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. What is the testimony of Jesus Christ? According to Revelation 19:10, it is the spirit of prophecy. God has given us the spirit of prophecy. So Satan is trying to take away from us the spirit of prophecy. How? By trying to get us to drink beast aid. By trying to get us to drink the cup so that we start misinterpreting our prophecies and try to make them fit in such a way that is not according to the word of God. Put down the cup. Many of us have been handed a cup and we are drinking it, and you're either drinking it, being hateful against it. In in the church now, you are either drinking it, being hateful against the word of God, being hateful against what you might... (laughs) Ah, uh. beloved, put down the cup, put down the cup, listen carefully to me, put down the cup, how does Satan plan to get us to drink the cup, listen carefully, in Isaiah 28 verse 7, this is why God tells us don't drink. In Isaiah 28 verse 7, it says, Those that have drunken, they also have erred through wine and through strong drink are out of the way. The priests and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. Listen, when you drink, when you drink beast aid, When you drink beast juice, when you drink wrath water, it begins to affect your vision. In other words, the way you see prophecy and you begin to start including things in prophecy that it's like, wait a minute. Huh? What? Huh? Where did Ellen White say that? Where does the Bible say this? What? Huh? We we begin to skew prophecy according to the natural heart. I'm coming to that, guys. Not only do we err in vision, but we stumble in judgment. That means we can no longer discern between good and bad, between right and wrong. In fact, Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the Righteous from him. So when we drink wine, we start to call things that are good evil and things that are evil good. I need you to catch that, guys. We start to look at, at certain things of, you know, well, this is good. No, that's not gospel. Uh, helping people. <sighs> Why are you doing that? Preach the gospel. What? Come on, let's keep going. Why should we not drink? Leviticus 9, 10 tells us this. 10, 9 tells us this. Do not drink wine nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that you may put difference between holy and unholy and between clean and unclean. Listen carefully. If you drink, you will not be able to put difference between clean and unclean. You will not be able to put difference between clean and unclean. Listen, guys, that I need you to lock that in. Those who are drunk cannot put difference between clean and unclean. Pastor, where are you going with this? Listen carefully. Let's talk about Revelation thirteen eleven. Revelation thirteen eleven, the Bible describes a second beast coming up out of the earth. The Bible says, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb and he spake as a dragon. And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him and caused the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. In other words, this second beast connects with the first beast to cause the whole world to drink the wine of Babylon. This second beast are the daughters of Babylon, pointing to Christianity, apostate Christianity. Now, I want you to notice what it does. He doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceive them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. Now, I've got a question for you. What does this power do? Revelation 13, 3. He makes fire come down from the earth, from heaven, on the earth, in the sight of men. And performs miracles. The same power, or the same thing is described in Revelation 16:3. It says, I saw three what everyone. Just on a pause right here. What does John see here? I saw three what? I'm waiting for you to just put that word in. Come on. Unclean. Pause for a second. If you drink wine. You are not able to tell the difference between what? Clean and unclean. And here the Bible says that these three. Unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. So what the Bible is telling us here, what God's trying to tell us Adventists is that if you drink wine, You will not be able to discern between clean spirits and unclean spirits. You will not be able to discern between the true miracles and counterfeit miracles. You will not be able to discern between false messages and true messages. The Spirit of Prophecy says this, these persons who overlook the testimony of the scriptures concerning the wonders wrought by Satan and his agents, it was by satanic aid that Pharaoh's magicians were enabled to counterfeit the work of God. Paul testifies that before the second advent of Christ, there will be similar manifestations of the satanic power. The coming of the Lord is to be preceded by the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And the Apostle John describing the miracle working power that will be manifested in the last days declares, he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. She closes by saying this, no mere impostures are here foretold. Men are deceived by the miracles which Satan's agents have power to do, not which they pretend to do. She goes on to say in third selected messages, page 393, in the revelation, we read concerning Satan, He doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven in the sight of men. So let me tell you, she goes on to say, As spiritualism imitates the Christianity of the day, it has great power to deceive. Satan himself is converted. He will appear as an angel of light. Through spiritualism, miracles will be wrought, the sick will be healed, and many undeniable wonders will be performed. Papists who boast of miracles as a sign of the true church will be readily deceived by this wonder-working power, and Protestants, having cast away the shield of truth, will also be deluded. Let me talk to you about 1917 wine. I hope you're sitting down. Are you all sitting down? I hope you are. Remember, as the wine ages, it gets stronger and stronger. So we talked about 538 juice, 538 wine, beast aid, wrath water. We saw the wrath it produced. We talked about 1793 beast water. We saw the wrath it produced. But the wine is still present, guys. And now I'm about to show you 1917 wine. You see, in 1917, a miracle took place that many people know about it, and there are many who don't. In 1917, something occurred called the Miracle of Our Lady of Fatima. Now I'm just going to ask, have you all heard of this miracle of Our Lady of Fatima? Thumbs up, something, if you've heard of it. If you haven't, uh, give me a mad face. You haven't heard of it, mad face. You have heard of it, thumbs up. Or a wow face, a wow face. Right? Wow or mad, you've heard of it. You haven't heard of it. Thumbs up, you've heard of it. Okay. So what happened in 1917 with this miracle? Well, Mary appeared to three little children and gave them some secrets. Secrets and then told them that these secrets had to be obeyed in order for the world to avoid calamity. Well, they went back and started telling everyone, nobody believed them, and then Our Lady of Fatima, Mary, then told the children that she was going to appear on October 13th, 1917, and was going to perform a miracle for the whole world to see. And so what happens is that day... 70,000 people appeared. This is in Portugal. And I want to read to you about this, what happened on October 13th, 1917. It was Mary's final appearance, this source says, on October 13th, 1917, that became the most famous. In his book, Looking for a Miracle, Joan Nichols states that an estimated 70,000 people were in attendance at the site, anticipating the Virgin's final visit and with many fully expecting that she would work a great miracle. As before, the figure appeared, and again, only to the children. Identifying herself as the Lady of the Rosary, she urged repentance and the building of a chapel at the site. After predicting an end to World War I and giving the children certain undisclosed visions, the Lady lifted her hands to the sky. Thereupon, Lucia exclaimed, The sun! And everyone gazed upward and saw that a silvery disc had emerged from behind the clouds. They experienced what was known as the sun miracle. Let me read to you just one testimony of the thousands that were received. This is from a lady named Maria de Capelina. It says, the sun turned everything to different colors, yellow, blue, and white. Then it shook and trembled. It looked like a wheel of fire that was going to fall on the people. I'm just going to pause for a second. Let me read that again. It looked like a wheel of fire that was going to fall on the people. They began to cry out, we shall all be killed. Others called to Our Lady to save them. They recited acts of contrition. One woman began to confess her sins aloud, advertising that she had done this and that. When at last the sun stopped leaping and moving, we all breathed our relief. We were still alive, and the miracle which the children had foretold had been seen by Everyone, fire falling from the sky. They made a movie about it. In fact, the movie is coming out August 28th, I believe it is, or August 8th. It might be today that the movie is coming out. The Miracle of the Sun. Now, let me ask you a question. Was this Mary? Was this Mary? There's a picture. There is an actual picture of the crowd that was gathered for this miracle was this Mary yes or no what is the answer no it was not Mary how do we know it was not Mary because the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 9 5 for the living know that they shall die but the dead know not anything neither have they any more a reward for the memory of them is forgotten this was not Mary if it was not Mary who was it it was who Alright, now here's what I haven't told you yet. Here is what this satanic manifestation, and I want to say that like I say that respectfully. I don't know how to say that respectfully. I'm not trying to offend anyone, but I'm I'm just speaking the word of God. Alright, this was not Mary. This was not Mary. Mary will be saved. She will be in heaven. Praise the Lord. But Mary's in the grave right now. This was not Mary. This was a satanic spirit. It was Satan. Listen to what Satan said. Here is the message that he had given to the children at Fatima. God wishes to establish in the world devotion to my Immaculate Heart. If what I say to you is done, many souls will be saved and there will be peace. The First World War is going to end if people do not cease offending God. A worse one will break out during the pontificate of Pius XI. When you see a night illuminated by an unknown light, know that this is the great sign given you by God that he's about to punish the world for its crimes by means of war, famine, and the persecution of the church. And then this spirit says this, to prevent this, I shall come to ask for thee for the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart and the communion of reparation of the first Saturdays. If my requests are heeded, Russia will be converted, and there will be peace. If not, she will spread her errors throughout the world, causing wars and persecution of the church. The good will be martyred. The Holy Father will have much to suffer. Various nations will be annihilated. In the end, my my Immaculate Heart will triumph. The Holy Father will consecrate Russia to me and she will be converted and a period of peace will be granted to the world. I want you to check this out, guys. This satanic power highlights communism as the great enemy. Yeah, I need you. To catch this, Satan highlights communism as the great enemy that we're to be focused on. Why, pray tell, why is Satan highlighting communism as the great enemy? Pray tell. This is 1917. I want, don't get me wrong. Communism had bad results. Communism is a result of the wine of Babylon. I catch that. Don't ask me, are you, are you, are you excusing communism? No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm just saying, why would Satan want to hide ha- through the very woman? Why is he trying to turn the attention to communism as the great enemy? That we all ought to be looking out for. Deflecting? Hmm. Diversion? Hmm. Wine? That's what he offered. 1917 wine. Communism is the great enemy of society. Not Babylon. Not the papacy. No. No communism. So, so, watch this. Watch this. Why is Satan doing this? For three reasons. Number one is diversion. I want you to check this out. This is from catholictradition.org. Listen to this. Fatima is the woman clothed with the sun. The miracle of October 13th, 1917. Communism is the red dragon of the denial of God. The red star of Moscow. Is it not obvious that the 20th century is the story of this battle between the woman of the apocalypse, Mary... Fatima, on the one hand, and the red dragon of Revelation chapter 12, guys, of communistic atheism of the East and the practical atheism of the West on the other hand. For these are brother enemies, but also brothers in arms. East and West are joined in this common negation of God. It is this history which we must retrace. In their understanding, the woman of Revelation 12 is Mary. And communism is the great red dragon. Let me just read on. Here's an article literally titled, Stalin as the Antichrist, the Catholic roots of the Red Scare. And here's what the article says. Central to the new Marian devotion was the memory of Fatima, the Portuguese village in which the virgin was said to have appeared to three peasant children from 1917 onward. She was the woman crowned with the sun who stood endangered by the great red dragon. The fates of Russia and communism became an apocalyptic sign, intimately connected to the future of the church and the final conflict between light and darkness. The red forces of communism were at war with the blue army of the Virgin Mary. Guys, beast juice. Beast aid. Put down the cup. Why is Satan trying to divert the attention to the atheists and the and the communists and the, the people? Who, these are the enemies and, and the great war. Beloved, listen to me. He's doing that for a reason, and it is to divert the attention from the winery. And many of us are, are following that diversion. But there's another reason, it's for the reason of unification. Listen carefully. Through the advocacy of Pope Pius XII, the Fatima mythology became the gospel of the global anti-communist crusade. In 1950, the Pope's proclamation of the bodily assumption of the Virgin created a new and fervent wave of Marian piety. Throughout the 1940s, the U.S. Catholic press led the way in denouncing Soviet aggression at a time when many secular newspapers were prepared to give the former allies some leeway. After the consecration of the human race to the Sacred Heart by Leo XIII in 1899 and the subsequent non-cooperation by men, God could tolerate no more. He could no longer permit men's crimes to go without chastisement, yet neither could he cease to seek to spare us through pure mercy. And when men had refused to respond, or had given insufficient response to the appeal of his son's heart, he sent them his mother. The heart of Christ somehow withdrew behind the heart of Mary. Such was the great turning point of 1917. And let it be noted, at the very moment when, as the consequence of the Bolshevik victory, 1917, the Red Dragon emerged at one extremity of Europe in Leningrad, which was still Petrograd, at the other extremity of Europe, at Fatima, where we are now, they repaired the woman clothed with the sun and the immaculate heart of Mary. Such was the miracle, October 13th, 1917, the miracle of the sun, a miracle which calls for an entire book of itself. I need you to understand this, guys. Nobody else was on this anti-communism crusade but the Catholic Church. And in 1917, people didn't know about this vision. But in 1950, when the Pope brought it back to light, that's when it really began to spread. And I want you to notice this from Crisis Magazine. It says, quote, While Catholics' outspoken anti-communism gave them bad publicity among civil libertarians, it won them the applause of law and order organizations, such as the untiring FBI under J. Edgar Hoover who recruited heavily among Catholics. Anti-communism was a good symbolic issue for Catholic immigrants and their children too. They could allay nativist fears about divided loyalties by pointing to their anti-communist ardor as evidence of 100% Americanism. You want to show you're a real patriot? Your anti-communism. This is what the Catholic Church used to win favor in America, whereas before they had no favor in America. You guys, this is prophetic stuff right here. In fact, in our own Adventist periodicals, July 26, 1951, the Bible and our times, one of our Adventist periodicals writes this. 160 years ago, The suggestion that the voice of Rome would ever be able to make itself heard in the United States would have been met with ridicule and derision, for not only were Roman Catholics at the time a tiny minority, but their numbers were dwelling almost to the point of extinction. He goes on to say, the rise of communism since the end of World War II has cemented the links between the United States and the Vatican. Because communism is enemy number one of the papacy, The United States has sought its spiritual backing in the Cold War against the Soviet Union while the papacy recognizes in the United States its most powerful ally in fighting the communistic menace. Do you see what's going on here, guys? This is beast aid. This is beast juice. This is what brought Catholicism, the the papacy, the first beast, into strong union with the second beast. And it was all... Prophecy connected with a miracle. In fact, you remember the Reagan, Pope John Paul II connection with communism. You remember that, right? You do know that Reagan was aware of the miracle at Fatima and declared it, spoke of that miracle. Thus, Reagan's view of communism falling in 1989, communism supposedly falling in 1989, and the Catholic worldview and the moral majority worldview was that this was a fulfillment of the vision of Fatima. And here many of us are drinking that juice. Communism. Pastor, why are you not talking about communism? Oh, I get it. Communism is bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I get that. But guys, the reason that the world is drunk with all these false philosophies and false teachings is because of the example that the church was supposed to set. It failed and it gave the world a drink that made them angry wrathful, distrustful of God, distrustful of Christians. Beloved, we have to focus on the winery. You will have my notes. I'm not even going to read what Reagan said. You'll see it in my notes. In case you think, Pastor, did Reagan actually mention Fatima? Yes, he actually mentioned Fatima. And when he mentioned it, the audience he was talking to went wild. All right. So let's talk about flying drunk. We're almost there, guys. We're almost done. Let's talk about flying drunk. You see, the three reasons we're not supposed to fly drunk is because, number one, we err in vision. Number two, we stumble in judgment. Number three, wrath. We pick up wrath. We get infected with wrath, with anger, With strife, we get infected with the strife of Babylon, the wrath produced by Babylon. Listen, let's talk about erring and vision first. We're told Satan is working that the history of the Jewish nation may be repeated in the experience of those who claim to believe present truth. The Jews had the Old Testament scriptures and supposed themselves conversant with them. But they made a woeful mistake. The prophecies that refer to the glorious second appearing of Christ in the clouds of heaven, they regarded as referring to his first coming. Because he did not come according to their expectations, they turned away from him. Satan knew just how to take these men in his net and deceive and destroy them. The very same Satan is at work to undermine the faith of the people of God at this time. There are persons ready to catch up every new idea. The prophecies of Daniel and Revelation will be misinterpreted or are misinterpreted. Guys, listen carefully. When Jesus came the first time, Satan got his own people to reject his coming. Why? Because he did not come in the way they wanted him to come. See, the natural heart wanted Jesus to overthrow their enemies. And when he did not come that way, they actually, they who knew the prophecies better than anyone else, rejected the prophecy. Can that happen at the end of time? Yes, and it will happen. Because this time, listen carefully, this time, what Satan will do, is he will come as Christ, in the way that many would actually love for him to come. Pastor, what are you talking about? Listen very carefully. The Bible speaks of the king of the north and the king of the south in Daniel chapter 11. You've heard me say this a hundred times. The king of the south represents atheism. It represents all that is against God. The king of the north represents the papacy. It represents Satan himself coming as Christ. Well, let me ask you a question. When the false Christ comes... Who do you think he's going after? Who do you think Satan is going after? He's the king of the north. Who's he going after? The Bible tells us in Daniel 11 verse 40 that he will push against the king of the south. What does that mean? He's going to attack atheism. He's going to attack all these things that come out of it. So communism and all the isms that we talk about, he's going to attack those. And guess what? For so many of us, because we have such a hatred in our hearts for all that stands for, when Satan comes... When Satan comes as Christ and he's like, yep, I'm against those secularists, Marxists, communists. We're going to be like, yeah, (laughs) not we, not me. But some of y'all are going to be like, yes, because guess what he's coming to do? Don't stone me, please. He's coming. I'm going to say this way. He's coming to make the world great again. And some of us are so caught up in this nation, in this world, and the principles of this world, we have become so caught up in politics. Yes, yes, yes. The very ones who say, Pastor, you should not be preaching politics, are sometimes the very ones that are the deepest into politics. So when I preach a sermon on prophecy, all you're hearing is politics. Why? because you're drinking and I'm not trying to blast you I'm not trying to repeat I'm simply trying to say for the love of one another guys put down the cup I love you man I'm not trying to you know prove you wrong and see no 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 this is about we're trying to see each other in heaven Some of us are so caught up in the wrath of this world that when Satan comes appearing to be Christ and he exercises his wrath against the secularist non-Christian, we're going to be cheering him on and we're going to be blinded. You may say all oh, we want now, oh yes, Jesus' feet don't touch the ground. and Jesus, You are so in love. You are so, we have become so in love with certain principles of this world that when Satan comes against the king of the south, we're going to be like, yes, get him, not even realizing who this is. You're saying, not possible. Can't happen in the Adventist church. Can't happen in the Remnant church. That's the same thing the Jews said. When Jesus comes, we'll be ready for it. Not possible. We'll know it. If it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. Not only are many stumbling in vision, we're stumbling in judgment let no one say how does god know and is there understanding in the most high for the lord knows even the secret thoughts of the heart those who neglect the poor and needy transgress the commandment of god wash you make you clean put away evil from your doing from before mine eyes. cease to do evil learn to do well seek judgment relieve the oppressed judge the fatherless plead the widow the devil has made it so that right now In the Adventist church, if you talk about helping people, there's a question of whether you are a liberation theology. Are you into liberation theology? Really? Satan has made it so now that we're calling good evil and evil good. Just so that you don't get connected with the papal view of the greatest enemy of this world. And then there's the wrath of Babylon. I'm closing. I just got a few more slides here. The Bible says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another. Do you understand how Satan is feeding the hearts of God's people with wrath? The callousness and the coldness. And listen, guys, I know I'm seeing some of this stuff. I'm seeing some of these comments. I've told you before, some of you think you can hide behind Facebook comments and YouTube comments and social media comments and be the most meanest, just wickedest response. I'm just talking about how we're dealing with each other. Do you not know that God is watching? You think God is winking an eye at your (sighs) beloved, the wrath of Babylon. You need to put down the cup. The Bible says in Proverbs 31 verse 3 Give not thy strength unto women nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. It is not for kings O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine nor for princes strong drink lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Beloved I need you to understand when you drink you forget the law and what is the law? Love your neighbor as yourself and beloved if you are talking about oh just preach the gospel and why are we getting all into and we're preaching a social gospel. Beloved, listen to me. Y'all know me. You have seen my ministry for 20 something years. You know I'm not shying away from the everlasting gospel. Don't mistake for a moment that I'm suggesting that we replace. Come on, guys. Look me in the face and say that to me with a straight face. Come on. We're talking about the everlasting gospel here. We're talking about being hands and feet to the word of God. The word of God must become flesh. We can't just continue to preach a message and think we've done good. No, we've got to be the message, guys. The devil has made it so, 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 so that if you use a certain word, I believe in justice or you're a social justice warrior. Oh, you're this. If you believe in this or you're that. Guys, Stop. Listen to me, you can vote for any party you want to and still stand for justice and righteousness. You voting for a party doesn't mean you agree with everything on that platform. Some people say, Pastor, you're telling people how to vote. No, I'm not. All I'm saying Is whatever principles you think, hey, I like this principle, I like that principle, you vote for those principles. But in the end, you can vote for either party and still actually stand for justice and righteousness and truth, guys. Come on. You can You can say, hey, you know what, I can't vote for this party because they stand for this, this, and this, so I'm voting for this party, but guess what? I will still be a Seventh-day Adventist, and I will still stand for truth, and I will still stand for justice, and I will still stand against X, Y, and Z. You don't have to tell people who you voted for. In fact, we're counseled not to do that. I'm kind of... Going off on a tangent here. But guys, you get the point, what I'm saying. I'm simply trying to say, guys, that we have to be about our father's business. Proverbs 23, verse 29, my last scripture, and I've got two more spirit of prophecy quotes where I'm going to make this quick. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has babbling? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stings like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, mystery Babylon, mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Your eyes will behold her and begin to defend her and begin to defend her principles put down the cup god's word has given warning of the impending danger let this be unheeded and the protestant world will learn what the purposes of rome really are only when it is too late to escape the snare she is silently drawing into power Her doctrines are exerting their influence in legislative halls. In the churches and in the hearts of men, she's piling up her lofty and massive structures in the secret recesses of which her former persecutions will be repeated. Stealthily and unsuspectedly, she's strengthening her forces to further her own ends when the time shall come for her to strike. All that she desires is vantage ground, and this is already being given her. We shall soon see and shall feel what the purpose of the Roman element is. Whoever shall believe and obey the word of God will thereby incur reproach and persecution. Put down the cup, guys. It's time for us to sober up. AA, yes, Adventist Anonymous. You can say, yes, I once was an alcoholic, but I have put the cup down. AA, guys, come on. AA. AA. My last statement. As the storm approaches, a large class who have professed faith in the third angel's message but have not been sanctified through obedience to the truth abandon their position and join the ranks of the opposition. By uniting with the world and partaking of its spirit, they have come to view matters in nearly the same light. And when the test is brought, they are prepared to choose the easy and popular side. What side is that? Apostate Protestantism, apostate Catholicism. That is who will be leading this out. Not forces that are anti-godly openly, but forces that are disguised as Christian forces. Men of talent and pleasing address. And by the way, let me say this. Christians, whether they vote for the right or vote for the left, apostate Protestantism crosses that border. Please get that down. Okay? I've never heard Pastor say that. Yeah, I'm saying it. Men of talent and pleasing address who once rejoice in the truth employ their powers to deceive and mislead souls. They become the most bitterest enemies of their former brethren. When Sabbath keepers are brought before the courts to answer for their faith, these apostates are the most efficient agents of Satan to misrepresent and accuse them and by false reports and insinuations stir up the rulers against them. Who are the rulers? They will be the beasts from the sea and the beasts from the earth. Those are the rulers. And what accusations will they be looking for? Oh yeah, he is with. They are enemies of God. You guys, my final appeal. As a church, as a body, remember your heritage. Let us not divert and follow a Marian prophecy that the real enemy is somebody else. It is not. This winery is guilty of the wine that the entire world is drinking. Let us not drink of that cup. Let us put down the cup. Let us step back from the wrath that so many of us have allowed to come into our hearts. Listen, Some of us have so much wrath that we can't even sit and hear the word of God anymore without getting angry. Put down the wrath, guys. Put down the wrath and pick up Bible prophecy again and stop trying to make what you see going on fit Bible prophecy. Bible prophecy is Bible prophecy. We don't need to look out in the world and try to make things fit. No, it is prophecy. It's been given to us. Reread the great controversy. Read it a thousand times. You will not find, the lady of Fatima is talking about, you will not find that in the great controversy. Put down the cup and pick up the word of God. Heavenly Father, forgive us for imbibing in the wine of Babylon. We see that because of the very wrath that has entered in so many of our hearts. Lord, teach us to put down the cup, the wrong cup, and to pick up the right cup. Forgive us, Lord, Lord, for erring in vision and stumbling in judgment and following the talking point of a demonic appearance in 1917 that set the foundation for what Protestant America is now now loves to talk about. We are not that. We are the remnant. So Lord, help us to stay focused on our message that is to be taken to the whole world. Help us to be sober is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This message was recorded and produced by Power of the Lamb Ministries. Our mission is to help prepare God's people for the soon coming of Jesus Christ by pointing to the supernatural power of the Lamb of God that gives us the experience of victorious Christian living. For more information on our multimedia resources or inquiries on speaking engagements, please log on to our website at www.powerofthelamb.com. That's www.powerofthelamb.com. Thank you and God bless.